The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Let's talk about experience. Patient care, healthcare, shadowing, volunteering, all of the above plus some. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I want to thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So My PA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs, and most of us have admissions experience. So I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. I have clearly had my coffee today based on that intro, but thank you for joining me. I am Savannah Perry. I'm a Derm PA and the founder and Pre-PA coach at thepaplatform.com. Today's episode that we are about to get into is a recording of a webinar that we did back in um, January of 2021 all about experience and the experience you need for PA school, answering lots of questions surrounding patient care experience, healthcare experience, shadowing, volunteering, research, teaching, leadership, Basically, all of the different experience categories on CASPA, from how to get experience, what makes a great experience, how to talk about it on your application, and much more. So this is a little bit of a longer episode because the session was an hour long. Um, If you want to break this up into two listening sessions, feel free, but I will not take too much more of your time and we will get into it. If you would rather watch this, it is on YouTube. If you go to youtube.com slash the PA platform or just Google that, you'll find that there as well as um, some videos we've been posting more regularly. I just did one this week on PA versus MD and how I made that decision. Um, So if that's something that you are thinking about or have questions about, definitely check out that video. Um, but we'll get into it. The If you want to know about any other upcoming webinars, make sure to follow along on Instagram at the PA platform. That's where I tend to post them or on TikTok at Physician Assistant. 
and I try to make sure that everyone knows about what's coming up. We've already had the one for February, so be on the lookout for that to be posted, but the one for March will be on CASPA, and I'll be talking about that soon and adding a link in some upcoming episodes. Next week, if you're listening to this in real time on February 23rd, 2021, um, we are doing another day in the life session with Archana. Um, The link to that is in the description for you to sign up and will also be posted on social media. So I'd love to see you there and we'll be taking questions ahead of time for that as well. But yeah, let's get into talking all about experience and I owe you guys a blog post from this webinar because there were so many great questions and so many we weren't able to get to. So that will be coming soon. Okay, so we are going to deep dive into experience and it's just me. I do have somebody kind of helping with the chat, but um, I'm going to try to keep up the best I can. Y'all help each other. Y'all are so good at that. You know, if you have the answer to something or know where to point somebody, put it in the chat. Like, totally fine. We're here to help each other kind of thing. So, um, yeah, this should be good. I've got... A bunch of questions we kind of came up with ahead of time and then I have some examples that kind of go with that I, I actually like I'm super organized tonight which I normally am not I went through and um, like categorize things I'm hearing somebody say no audio so if some of y'all have audio let me know um, but I think it should be good so This will be recorded. If you can't watch the whole thing, can't stick around, you will get a replay email, I think in 24 hours. I'm not exactly sure, but you will get a replay email to rewatch it. Um, And then I will try to load it onto YouTube as well. All right, cool. Let me make sure I have everything up that I want to show you and try my my desktop is a mess and I always have five million tabs open I don't know if anyone can relate but it's a constant problem all right and if y'all have questions as we go ask them um I am going to be watching the chat um and we have a google doc with questions so I'll be watching that too um but we'll try to kind of get to as much stuff as we can. So experience. Um, and I'm, I'm really going to stick to on topic questions. Um, sorry, you can see my funky background over here. Um, but, um, there's no certificate for this. There's no proof there. This is just informational. Um, and so this is strictly informational to help you in the process. Um, shadowing counts, Anything under experience, you're good to ask questions about tonight. But um, next month in February, I'm going to be talking about personal statements. So we're going to be um, like making sure, I just clicked the wrong thing, um, like that we're covering everything. It just, we're going to try to stay on topic because otherwise it's all over the place. Um make sure I close that out. Okay, cool. Um, the Google doc is for me and the person helping me in the chat. Her name's Emily. Um, if you need anything, ask Emily, but, um, she's putting questions in the Google doc for me. So that's kind of how we're communicating outside of the crazy chat. Um, 
but yeah, so February will be personal statements. Let me um, see. I think I already put on the calendar. I just want to double check. Mm, maybe I did not. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. Um, so the February webinar will be on February 18th at probably around the same time, like 8 p.m. Eastern. But be on the lookout on social media. I'll post it on Instagram. It'll go out in the newsletter next week um, if you're on our newsletter. So experience. Um, I'm going to start by kind of going in order through the um, like questions that came through primarily on Instagram. And we will get to everything that we can. All right. So one question that I got right from the beginning is what matters most? patient care experience or GPA. And one thing I'll say a lot during this session is it is school dependent. There are some schools that really focus on GPA and don't care as much about hours. And there are other schools that put a lot more emphasis on that experience and not as much on GPA. So if you feel like you are stronger in one category, that may be something that you can look into when you're researching schools. One way to sometimes tell is by looking at a school's average statistics. Um, if anyone wants to throw out a school, I'll try to look it up and we can use that as an example. Um, but it really, you know, you'll have to look if a school requires 2000 hours of patient care experience, they probably care more than a school that says they don't have a specific minimum or they only want 100 hours. Um, all right, Cornell, let's see what we can find. So um, here, let me share my screen so I can kind of walk you through how I would do this. Mm, I think it's this one. Because I really want y'all to like learn how, um, how I find stuff. So um, let's start with Cornell. So I'm going to just look up Cornell. So I, when I'm Googling, I type in exactly what I want to see. So I'm going to type in Cornell PA program um, acceptance rate. That came up. Let's see what, what they have to say. Um, so usually the first link is going to take you to the school's website. And let's see what they have here. Not every school posts their averages. Let's make this bigger. So it's telling us about the school. You kind of have to search for some of this information. Let's see if there's anything up here. Um, admissions requirements. Sometimes it's going to be in the FAQ, which let's look while we're here. So their healthcare experience. So they don't even, they still don't call it patient care experience, but they call it direct patient healthcare experience. That's still patient care experience. Um, all applicants are required to have a minimum of 500 hours of direct patient HC prior to applying. So this is something that's very important and we'll talk more about later. This school wants you to have your, your hours done by the time you apply, not that by the time you start school. Because that was another question I got as far as like when and how do they take into account hours that are still in progress. So this is a good example of that and we'll talk more about it later. Um, but these hours must be completed and accurately self-reported on the application. Um, these hours may be satisfied by either paid or volunteer experiences and require hands-on patient contact. So 
that's all really great details. And most schools are going to have details like this on their pages. Um, again, you may just have to search for it a little bit. Um, let's see if this document tells us anything. This is their attrition and graduation rates. I don't know if it'll be on here. Sorry for my slow internet. Hmm. So this just tells us their attrition rate, um, how many graduated. They have a 100% graduation rate, but that does not tell us their average accepted information. They have information sessions. That's cool. Graduate performance. That's not it. So they may not have their averages posted. I saw somebody said Augusta University, and that's where I went. Let's look them up. So admission statistics. Look, it's already here on this first page. So if we go there, let's see what they think, which they don't require a ton of patient care experience. <laughs> My internet's so slow tonight. Sorry. Um. Okay, so here we go. It shows each class. The most recent class had an average GPA, oh, here's most recent, of 3.69, average math and science of 3.52, and then they actually don't tell us the patient care hours. Um, so that tells you something. They don't even have it on here. That doesn't mean they don't think it's important, but um, to them, it's not important enough to include right here. Other schools will have that on there. So. Anyway, we'll come back to more examples later, but um, I'm not going to check every school, like, but I'm just showing you how to do it so that y'all can check schools and what to look for on the program websites. Um, we'll do more examples with other stuff later, so I'll be on the lookout for when y'all put stuff in there. Um, so there's not necessarily a like, this matters most that's general across the board. It's going to be program dependent. Um, the next question that came up was, how much does the type of experience play a role applying to PA school? Again, it's going to be program dependent. So like we just saw on Cornell's website, they didn't really have a list of different things that they prefer. Um, it just said that they wanted you to have 500 hours paid or volunteer. And so the most probably one of the most frustrating things about PA school is that nothing is standardized between programs. And so you're going to have to check links. Um, if you use the PA, we have a um, program map on the PA platform, and that's a quick way to get to links to every single program. Um, but yeah, so definitely use program websites. But when it comes to what type of experience plays a role or is more important, the more patient responsibility you have, the more skills you need, the more responsibility in general that you have, the more valuable that experience will be. If it's freezing, make sure you refresh um, and it should come right back. Like I said, I don't know what's going on with my internet. I don't think it's stormy, but um, yeah, try to reconnect. And then when, if you miss some, go back to the replay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. Another good question was, who should you contact to see if something counts? 
um, or to clarify any requirements. Now, please, if they already have it on their website, like very clearly listed, like I showed you a minute ago, it may be hard to find. Like you may have to click through every single part of the website, but if they already have it listed, don't contact that program about it because that is not going to look good for you um, and looks like you haven't done your research. But if there's something that you're unsure of, um, usually a program is going to have an admissions email or um, someone in charge, whether it's like a support person or an admissions director that you can contact. Um, and I would definitely, you know, use that. They have people there to answer your questions. And so, um, you know, reach out to those people and make sure of things before you jump into a certification program um, of something that's not necessarily going to count. Or one of the questions I get a lot is um, like somebody trying to decide between two jobs. And I definitely think looking at the programs is the best way to determine which jobs are going to be best. Um, sorry for the freezing. I don't have any way to fix it. Um, and like I said, my internet, I can tell from um, looking things up is kind of struggling right now. I don't know why, but um, okay. So I got a lot of questions um, sent in about what counts. Um, and some of the things that were asked about were um, pharmacy tech. Um, that was a big one. Um, I see Alyssa actually answering this in the chat. Most programs are going to call pharmacy tech healthcare experience. You're exactly right. Some will consider it patient care experience. And some of this does come down to how you explain things and how you explain what your roles and responsibilities and job were, which I'm going to show you in just a little bit. Um, so again, pharmacy tech, usually healthcare experience. Someone else said they work front desk at an orthopedics office, um, but they take blood pressure sometimes. So in a situation like this, um, when you're most likely primarily in a healthcare experience setting, but doing some patient care, um, I would go with what you primarily, so you have two options. You can go with what you primarily do, which is probably like being healthcare experienced, being a front desk receptionist type person, um, or you can separate it out. So if you have a pretty um, set schedule, like you know that four hours in the mornings on Tuesdays, you have to help out in the back, you could pull those hours out and use them as patient care experience. Um, you would just need to subtract them from your healthcare experience, because if you followed me for a while, you know I will always say don't double dip. You cannot double dip hours, you cannot double dip classes. Um, nothing can overlap in what you're using it for when it comes to requirements and applying to PA school. Another one I got was um, HIV and STD testing counselor. So this is a situation where it depends on what you do. Um, if you are actually talking to patients and counseling them and talking to them about results, I would say that's 100% patient care experience, probably. But some schools may not. But for the most part, I would say that's patient care experience. If you are in a lab processing these tests, um, that's probably not 
patient care experience. That's healthcare experience or research. Um, and so you've really got to look at what you actually do. And you can't really just go by the title either. That's what a lot of people say, like, well, I'm an MA, so I'm like automatically patient care. Or I'm a CNA and I'm automatically patient care. Um, and that's not the case. You have to go by what you actually do on a daily basis um, in these cases. So let's see. Um, dental assisting, I would say most schools count that as patient care experience, same as ophthalmology technician. Um, but again, program dependent. Um, phlebotomy, yes, Becky is usually patient care experience, great experience, by the way. Radiology tech, um, I would say most of the time that's probably patient care if you're directly interacting with patients. Sorry, I just talked to a pre-PA club and I worked all day, so I'm kind of losing my voice. Um, scribing is one that falls in the gray area of sometimes it's healthcare experience and sometimes it's patient care experience. Um, so it just depends on the school. And ultimately, when it comes to putting those experiences into CASPA, it's up to you to determine where they fall. The schools are going to look at, if you're in the pre-PA conference a couple weeks ago, like we talked about this extensively, schools are going to determine where that experience actually goes for them um, because they know that CASPA is not, it's like a catch-all and it's not going to always be accurate for what they consider patient or healthcare experience. Um, okay. Someone else said COVID testing and vaccine administration. Um, I think in most cases that's going to be patient care experience. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to be working up patients, doing intake, um, doing skills on them. I, I think that would likely count for most schools. Okay. I love all y'all's discussion in the chat. It's great. Okay, the difference, let's talk about the difference between patient care experience and healthcare experience before we get like too far into this. And I'm going to pull up the CASPA definitions just to clarify a couple things. Let me figure out where I put them. All right. And this is just an important page anyway. Um, so make sure y'all are using and looking at and reading the CASPA FAQ. So this is, the, I just typed in, um, all I typed in was CASPA experience, and this came right up. Um, so in this section, they have laid out exactly what all of the different types of experience are that you can put into CASPA and given you definitions of those things and talked about how to enter it and how to separate it. Um, so this is extremely helpful. Highly recommend using this. Um, and, and yeah, definitely use it. Um, so non-healthcare employment, that's pretty self-explanatory, um, research, volunteer work, um, patient care, which it doesn't explain up here. No, it doesn't. Um, all it does say is that I agree with is note that since each program's definitions and requirements may vary, CASPA has no specific preference as to which category you choose. They don't care. You can say Taco Bell is your patient care experience. Um, okay, so patient care experience. 
These are experiences in which you are directly responsible for a patient's care, according to CASPA. For example, prescribing medication, which you're really only going to do if you're like a PA or a doctor or an NP, um, performing procedures, directing a course of treatment, designing a treatment regimen, actively working on patients as a nurse, paramedic, EMT, CNA, phlebotomist, physical therapist, dental hygienist, etc. Um, okay, nobody freak out. Nobody get mad. We're going to talk about this. Um, so healthcare experience is both paid and unpaid work in a health or health-related field where you are not directly responsible for a patient's care, but may still have patient interaction. For example, filling prescriptions, performing clerical work, delivering patient food, cleaning patients and or their rooms, administering food or medication, taking vitals or other record-keeping information, working as a scribe, CNA, depending on job description, and medical assistant. So this was changed back in 2017, um, and just the other experiences are shadowing, leadership, extracurriculars, and teaching. Um, okay, so this was changed back in 2017, and it caused like a big hoopla then, and it still causes a big hoopla like every single year when people realize this again. Um, so for whatever reason, CASPA moved medical assistant from patient care experience to healthcare experience, and then they kind of put CNA in like both categories. Um, and so this is the prime example of how CASPA is not the final say. Like I think in their definition, and it actually used to have more, um, it's, it, they're referring to like a, like a, medical assistant who does prior authorizations. Also, keep in mind that the people who do CASPA, like they're not necessarily medical people. Um, and so this is where it comes down to the actual kind of job that you do and the tasks um, versus your actual title, because you may be a medical assistant who only does paperwork and that is not patient care experience, that is healthcare experience. Or you may be a medical assistant in a derm office where you're injecting patients and numbing them and assisting with surgeries and um, going over instructions about their medications and really, really involved in the clinical decision making around that patient. Um, and that is absolutely patient care experience. Um, the other like, so if we're talking about CNA, like most schools are going to accept your CNA experience as patient experience. Some will have preferences. They'll want you to work in a hospital setting where you're able to see that clinical decision-making versus a nursing home where you're really just caring for the patients um, and helping them. You're not necessarily involved on the medical side, but that's not going to be 100% accurate either because you may work in a nursing home where they have providers coming in and you get to help with the clinical stuff. So there's not a set thing um, or category that everything will fall into 100% of the time, even EMT. So sometimes transporting as an EMT does not count as patient care experience if you're just transporting patients and not actually providing emergency care. Um, Again, this is program dependent. Y'all don't come at me. It's all the schools um, and how they function. And usually if they, these schools are going to set precedents um, based on what has happened in their programs before. So if they've consistently seen like 
this type of person with this type of patient care experience does not perform well, they probably are going to be less likely to accept it. Um, and on the flip side, if they see that people who have worked as EMTs or paramedics do really well, they might favor that. Um, and so it, it's not completely random. It is a little bit dependent. Um, I'm seeing the question of, do you have to have both healthcare experience and patient care experience? Not necessarily. Um, I have heard from some admissions people that it kind of looks good to fill all the categories if possible, but in general, patient care experience is going to be more valuable than healthcare experience, um, where you're getting that one-on-one -on -one care as much as possible. Whew. Okay. I hope I'm not being more confusing than helpful. And I know it's like a lot and it makes you like question it, but like ultimately like you know what you do and whether it's contributing to patient care or not. Like that is all you gotta go by. And my massive water ball, working on it. All right. Um, okay. So what is the, quote, best way to get hours? Um, this is going to be program dependent. But in general, schools want a variety of students. They really, they don't want all students who have done exactly the same experience. Um, that's not what they're looking for. They, they want a variety. We had all different types of people with all different backgrounds in my class, and that made us do better and learn from each other and from each other's experience. So I don't think there's necessarily a best way to get hours, but I think if you can focus on getting that higher quality experience where you are more hands-on and have more responsibility, that's great. But if you've got to start with something um, where you don't have as much responsibility, that's okay too. Okay, let's talk a little bit about logistics of CASVA. Um, so when you put your hours in any experience, you'll put the dates. Um, and Emily just posted our free experience log, which is, um, oh, I'll show it to you. I have it pulled up. Where is it? Here it is. Okay. Let me show you this fun little thing. Because um, I was asking about how to keep track of hours. Um, so you can download this for free on the PA platform. Um, and so this is set up exactly like how you will have to enter everything into CASPA. Um, I would even recommend maybe putting this in an Excel um, or like Google numbers or whatever um, so that it saves automatically. But you'll have to put your position or title, um, your supervisor's name, their number, um, contact number, facility address, whether it was paid or unpaid. And you'll have um, options in here for um, like you can put it was for academic credit as well. The dates that you completed it, the hours per week, that's probably more helpful. Um, the total weeks and then the total hours. So what it's going to do is it's going to multiply your hours per week by the total weeks. So that can be a little difficult if you're not, if you don't have a consistent schedule I think the best way to handle this is to figure out what your total number of hours are and separate it into making it work for the hours per week and total weeks. 
um, and then explain in your description what your schedule was like, if that's relevant. So up here at the top, um, and this is, in our, I only have numbers on here, but the actual thing is an Excel document, but um, we have patient care experience and then one for healthcare experience, volunteering, shadowing, and non-healthcare experience and patient care jobs. You could add a research or teaching one if you need to, and then one for um, honors and awards as well. So yeah, that's something you can download. All right. Um, so that's how you enter it. You will be able to put that an experience is in progress um, or continuing. And um, then you they'll know that you're still getting hours. And then you could put in your experience details something like, um, I can, I expect to have 2000 hours by August of 2021. So they know like, okay, this person only has 1400 now, but they're still working on it. And by the time that um, we're looking at applications, they'll have 2000 hours. And then you can send in those updates later as well. Um, it's a little confusing until you get into doing that. Um, but yes, but it is okay to average your weekly hours because it's going to be difficult. Like, like there's no way to indicate that some weeks you work 40 hours and some weeks you work four hours. Um, and so really the only way to enter that is to figure out your total hours and then average it out so that it works. Um, and, and if you're off on your hours, Jennifer asked about if you're a little bit off, always undershoot versus overshooting. So underestimate. Okay. Let's move on. I was a CNA at a rehab hospital. I did not have a ton of hours. Okay. Do I have to wait um, until I graduate to get patient care experience slash work as an MA at a derm office? Um, I, you really don't have to wait to start getting experience. It really just depends on your schedule and what you're able to find. Um, but if you can make it work and you can go ahead and start getting hours and you have an opportunity, go for it. Like definitely take advantage of any opportunities you have um, to get certified, to um, get experience, to get your foot in the door. Um, yeah, like you definitely don't have to wait till you graduate. Um, someone also asked, do schools prefer a variety or seeing one job? Um, in this case, like, I think it depends on the school, but, um, I do think you've got to just look at your timeline. Like if you're an undergrad and you're, um, staying at the same, um, like position for a long time, I think that is reasonable because they're probably like working with you on schedule and stuff. But let's say you, you're done, you've graduated, and I'll use my friend Taylor, who used to be my medical assistant as an example. Um, so she worked as a derm MA for, I think, six years before she applied to PA school. And one of the feedbacks that she got from um, two different places was that they wanted her to have some primary care experience. Um, and they were like, you know, we don't necessarily mean quit your job, but like get some shadowing, see if you can do some volunteering um, to make sure that you have seen something other than your specialty. 
Um, so I do think if you've been somewhere for a couple of years, if you feel like you've learned everything there is to know there um, and you're, you know, kind of just going through the motions at that point and not progressing your knowledge or your skill set, it may be time to move on to a different setting or a different specialty to show PA schools that you're really trying to become as well-rounded as possible before you apply. Um, I had 250 hours when I applied with plans to try to get a job to get more, but that didn't happen because I got in and nowhere wanted to hire me. Um, okay, so people have questions about how to get patient care experience during a pandemic with no license or certification. This is a great time to get certified. So if you can find somewhere where you can get um, get experience, um, get a certification, if you can do it online right now, um, we have a list like a search engine on the PA platform that kind of helps you find certification in your area, like programs. Um, and so I think the link's in there, Emily, if you want to put it in the chat. But um, that would be a really great place to start to see if there's any CNA or EMT classes near you um, or MA classes, whatever you can find. Scribing, usually they'll train you on the job. Um, I just don't think like medicine has still gone on even with the pandemic. And even though there have been times where there are shutdowns, like there's still a need for, for people. And there are a lot of people who um, left their jobs and aren't going back. And so, you know, keep looking for opportunities, keep looking for jobs. Um, you can do COVID testing, vaccinating, volunteer. I know I'm in Georgia and they're like begging for volunteers um, medical and non-medical to help um, with getting vaccines out. So really like keep looking for opportunities, be proactive. They're not going to fall in your lap. Like you've got to really search them out. Um, it's probably going to take some research and um, being diligent to really find those opportunities. Um, you know, when it comes to getting, so the next question is getting PC without a long certification. Check your state rules first. Some states will let you work in certain positions without being certified. In Georgia, you do not have to be certified to be a medical assistant. Um, and like almost none of my medical assistants have ever been certified because um, usually they're pre-health students and some offices love to hire pre-health students. Um, so if you can let them know, like call offices, um, send a resume, send a cover letter, let them know what your plans are. And it may be that they are willing to bring you on and train you because they know you're going to be motivated. Like I, um, have a new MA right now who is starting PA school in May. She started, I guess she started like in September. She's not that new, but, um, she like literally within a week was up and running and teaching the other MAs who have been there for years, how to do stuff on the computer. And like, she's awesome. So, um, like, I know that you guys have that drive and that passion and you're intelligent and you are going to be really, you know, really great employees. Um, and so, I mean, I, I definitely think it is, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities out there. I've had, I've heard some concerns about um, like not being able to work because 
of family members or all that. And, and that's fine. You may just have to realize that your path is going to look different and it may take you longer to get to where you want to be. Like schools aren't going to say like, oh, we understand when there are plenty of applicants who have hours and who have what they need to apply. I hope that um, makes sense. Um, okay, I just saw a question pop up. Someone said, I was an MA for six years in Durham. If I was to shadow a PA in psych, oncology, and ortho, would that be okay to show them I'm aware about other specialties other than Durham? I think that would be helpful, but most PA programs want to see some type of primary care experience, um, whether that's shadowing or working or volunteering. But like PAs are primarily trained as generalists, and so they want to know that you have that background as well. Okay, so um, yeah, so look for things that will hire you and train you on the job. So things like medical assistant, scribe, patient care experience. Um, here, let me put the search engine in there. Um, here it is. Oh, Emily's got it. Never mind. Um, okay. Um, and then CNA is probably going to be the quickest certification. Next after that is probably going to be EMT. Um, and then probably medical assistant slash paramedic. Um, it just um, depends. Yes. Thank God for Emily. I completely agree. She like keeps me in order. <laughs> okay. Um, so how do hours work after applying? Some schools to look like when we were looking at that Cornell website, some schools um, we'll say by the time you apply, your hours need to be completed. Some say by the time you matriculate, which means you would start the program. And some say by the time, um, like by a certain date. So they'll say by end of fall semester 2020 or whatever that they want everything completed. Um, so that's definitely something to kind of look for when you're going on those program websites. And then somebody also asked, how would I explain that I work in one unit, but sometimes I float to another unit? That is a perfect thing to put in experience details um, so that you can really go into depth about, you know, primarily I work on the surgical floors, but every once in a while I work on oncology floors and then go into details about what you learned there. Okay, someone also said they see jobs that only require experience in one at least one year. Um, what do you recommend? I would say apply anyways um, and let them know that you're pre-health, that you're pre-PA. Um, schools are jobs like that. Um, and this is something you're going to run into later on as a PA because you'll see jobs for MPs. Um, and I always recommend applying to MP jobs anyway. Um, I did. And I think it's, you know, you have to educate them on how PAs and MPs are the same, but that's something you'll face in the future. Um, but with jobs, you know, just apply, be passionate, be persistent, um, and really let them know that you are going to be a hard worker. And sometimes that'll help you get your foot in the door. Um, okay. How do schools validate PCE hours? Usually they don't, first of all. Um, so they typically are not going to, um, check on your hours 
They're going to, you know, go by what you say and take that on the honor system. The times when that's not going to be the case is if there's a discrepancy um, in either your resume or your hours or um, some kind of issue, um, something in your personal statement or supplementals. Um, but if they do need to validate, they will contact your program or your supervisor directly and whoever you list on there and ask them to either clarify or talk about your experience to make sure that you are being truthful or whatever um, in what you put on your application, kind of verify it. Um, should you start putting your patient care hours into CASPA if you're not applying this cycle? Um, is that not possible? It is possible. I don't really recommend um, saving everything in CASPA. They, it, it technically should roll over, but there's also a chance that it may not. And so um, I would save it in something like the um, Excel document or um, somewhere else where you know it's going to be safe um, for sure. Okay, let's talk about shadowing. Moving on from patient care and healthcare, even though I know there are like questions. All right, um, I'm actually gonna show y'all an email I got of um, someone asking to shadow that was like the perfect shadowing, asking to shadow email. Um, so online shadowing, virtual shadowing, let's talk about this first. And I see some questions coming up in the chat about it. Um, so this has really become a thing during COVID because people couldn't shadow regularly. Um, and so here's the problem to me, virtual shadowing, and I've done some like day in the life, um, sessions. It's not like the real thing. It's nothing like the real thing. Um, you can go back and listen to all of my podcasts with PAs and technically call that virtual shadowing if that's what we're calling it, but you're not seeing that interaction. Like to me, the important part about shadowing is seeing how a PA interacts with patients and how they interact with everyone else and their physician. Um, and so it, it like, yes, I understand that like right now that's all we can do, but, um, it, it's not a substitute for in-person shadowing. So that's why some schools are accepting it, some aren't. Um, as far as the certificates, I don't think they really matter or carry any weight. Um, you don't get a certificate when you really shadow at all. And so, like, to me, that's kind of silly to do. But, like, I mean, it's fine. I just don't know that it'll actually mean anything, like a digital certificate. But... Um, that's fine. Like it's fine. And it's definitely great learning opportunities. I'm planning on doing some more. Um, but like for our sessions, we will never offer a, um, like a certificate or proof that you were there. I can't even prove that you were there the whole time. And so, um, I can't validate that for you. Um, all right. Um, asking to shadow, um, is there etiquette for how long you should ask or keep asking to shadow a PA for it? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so when you are initially approaching a PA to shadow them, um, 
be courteous and be flexible. And as someone just asked, should you build a relationship with someone before shadowing or is it okay to just ask them? It depends on the situation, but I would say like building a relationship can be really helpful. Even if you're like, Hey, can I just talk to you on the phone? Can I, um, pre COVID take you to coffee or lunch? Um, something along those lines. Um, and here, I'm just going to show you this example of someone who asked me who like, I was so impressed by this email. I thought it was so good if I can find it. Okay. Let me put this up. Okay. Can y'all read that? I hope so. Okay. So this person emailed me recently and they said, um, good evening, PAC Perry, which y'all can call me Savannah. Like, and if you email me this, I'm going to email you back. But um, my name is so-and-so and I'm an undergraduate student at blah, blah, blah. Straight to the point, tells me a little bit about them, but brief, um, which is great. I had the pleasure of meeting you last year when you spoke at one of our pre-PA student association meetings and have listened in on a few of the virtual shadowing sessions. I'm very grateful for providing these awesome opportunities to learn. Um, I am so thankful when y'all say kind words to me, but like you don't have to, but like PAs and I think people just in general are going to appreciate like you being courteous and um, like kind to them when you are approaching them. So um, like if they, let's say they work in orthopedics, maybe say something about how you're really interested in orthopedics or whatever. If it's somebody that you, um, I saw somebody asking about somebody like your primary care PA, um, tell them how impactful they've been on you. Like you were part of the reason I've decided to become a PA, whatever. Um, but you can, can tell them those things. What I really appreciate about this is how direct it is and how short I have gotten emails that are like, a full page or two pages long um, before they ever get to the point. And it's just a lot. Um, so keeping it short is great. Um, going on as I'm applying to PA school this April, I'm hoping to enhance my application by gaining more shadowing experience, which has been difficult due to the COVID-19 observation restrictions. I'm reaching out to you to inquire. I don't know why that's there. Um, if you would be willing to allow me to observe at your office once these restrictions are lifted, I understand that you're very busy. So if this is not possible, would you happen to know of any other PAs in the area who might be interested? Thank you so much for your time. Like this is such a professional, kind email, um, which again, like I appreciate so much. I have also gotten emails that um, call me Dr. Perry, which I am not. Um, I've had phone messages that call me Dr. Perry. Um, and so like that to me shows that that person has not really researched what they're messaging me about. Um, I've had emails that just say, hi, I would like to shadow you for 80 hours. Can you tell me when I can come to your office? Um, I don't even think I responded to that one. Like it was just so like, you just don't want to be abrasive and you don't want to be assumptive in your emails. Um, I've actually had a couple recently too, where um, back when we were doing shadowing, they emailed and asked about shadowing. And I said, it's happened on two separate occasions. Um, and I get that like you're very eager, 
but from a PA perspective, um, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know how you're going to be around my patients. Um, it's hard to bring somebody else in, especially in what I do. My patients are naked. Like 50% of them have no clothes on and they don't really want me in the room. They also don't really want another body in the room, um, especially a student. So, you know, it's hard you know, I'm, I'm putting a lot of trust in people to come into my office. Um, so somebody like this, I would expect them to be professional and be really excited about. Um, so another, so two people recently who've emailed me, um, I said basically like, you know, I'm there on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, is there like, tell me a morning or an afternoon where you could come? Because usually if I haven't met you, I'm going to have you come for a morning or an afternoon once. And if I like you and you are nice and professional, I will invite you back. Um, I'm not going to tell you that in my email, but I'm just going to say, you know, tell me a morning or afternoon um, so I can, can plan for that. Um, so one of the people emailed back, which if this is you, it's okay. Um, but one of the people emailed back and um, said, um, well, can I come Monday through Thursday? I'll shadow you the first two days and the other PA the other two days. Um, and then the other person said, can I come every Tuesday for a month? And so, yeah, so both of those people, I've email back and was like, no, tell me like a morning or afternoon. The other problem is there's some demand. Like I have people, like people I've been talking to for months now asking to shadow. And so um, I'm going to try to spread the love as much as I can whenever we're able to do that again. Um, so someone says, how long should we continue to ask a PA to shadow for without being overbearing? You're going to have to feel out the situation. So um, I would say for a first encounter, like try to ask for like half a day or a day. Um, don't assume they're going to let you come for a week. And also from a PA perspective, um, to have extra people, it, it kind of slows us down, um, to be honest, which is okay. Um, but like my patient and their time is my priority um, over teaching someone else. And so um, you know, that's something you have to consider too, is they're going to be taking that into account when they're deciding like when you can shadow and things. So I would try to get your foot in the door, start to establish that relationship, build that relationship. And then if that PA feels inclined, they're probably going to invite you back. Um, after you've had that shadowing opportunity, I think it's great to send a thank you follow up and say, you know, I would, I really enjoyed my time. I would love to shadow you, um, again in the future. Please let me know if there are any opportunities. And then, um, they are going to, you know, do with that what they will and what they feel comfortable with. So I hope that doesn't come off as too harsh. Um, but I think this is just like a touchy subject and it's like you can very quickly turn someone off if you come across as too abrasive or like entitled um, from your first encounter. So, um, okay, let's talk a little bit about shadowing etiquette and especially during COVID right now. And someone asks, is there a specific way we should dress? I would say um, it does depend if you have the opportunity to ask ahead of time, like definitely ask, um, 
when in doubt, like if they don't tell you or you're not sure, I would go business casual and probably try to bring a backup pair of scrubs either in your car or your bag if possible, just in case. And ideally like a neutral color, blue, black, navy would be great. Um, so etiquette, especially right now during COVID, um, if you are able to shadow right now, 100% wear your mask the entire time, even if the people don't. Um, that is something that we experienced lately. Someone was shadowing somebody else in my office. And um, this person who came in, like, kept taking her mask off, which, you know, we as an office are around each other a lot. I wear my mask all the time. Um, but some of the people in my office do not. And so I think this person shadowing felt very comfortable in taking hers off, but, um, like me as a provider, like, and she wasn't shadowing me, but like, it made me uncomfortable. And so I would say like, definitely wear your mask, um, ask them for specifics, ask them if they need you to get tested or if they need any information, um, beforehand, if that is a concern or they're probably gonna let you know, but, um, you know, just right now, especially, and, and if you have any inkling that you have been exposed to COVID, um, aren't feeling your best, any symptoms at all, do not go into that office because you are introducing a huge liability for them. Um, and so just, you know, use caution with that because that could end up bad. Let's move on to volunteering. Okay. Um, so where some people have questions about where to put like certain volunteering. Um, so like an unpaid internship for college credit, you could put that under volunteering and you'll indicate that it was for academic credit. Um, someone else said unpaid volunteer work in a medical setting. Um, so with that, like if you're doing patient care, but it was volunteer, I would probably put that under patient care experience and then indicate that it's a volunteer status. Um, I'll show you what this looks like in a second. Um, but you have some freedom and some leeway in where you put your experience. Um, so someone else said, you know, I was working as a teacher, but then I had these other experiences where I was working with certain students and with organizations. Would that be leadership instead? Um, so you could separate it. You could have some of that be leadership and some of it be teaching. Um, and then someone said, I was a preceptor at work. Is that leadership or teaching? Um, it's how you describe it. If you feel like you were in a leadership role and you want to describe it like that, it's leadership. If you feel like you were um, teaching and you want to describe it as teaching, it was teaching. So um, there, there are definitely some gray areas where you get to decide, but there's not, um, you can't double dip. You can't put under both the same hours under any category. So you can separate them, um, but you cannot use them for both. All right. Um, should volunteer experience be up to date? Um, I would say as much as possible, 
So if it's been a while since you volunteered, um, I do think it would be helpful to try to continue to get some volunteer experience. The purpose of volunteering is so that schools can see that you are committed to your community and to the underserved. If you look at a lot of mission statements, um, they focus on um, helping others. And so um, try to do the best you can to continue to look for opportunities to volunteer, even if it's just once a month, like something small. Um, and it doesn't have to be medically related. Is there an ideal amount of volunteer hours to have before applying? Not necessarily. Some schools will say that they have a certain requirement. Um, others will not, um, even if they really do. So um, I don't think there's necessarily an ideal amount. I think it's more about consistency and doing something over a period of time versus hours. Like it's better to volunteer once a month for three years than to do 50 different one-time events, um, trying to really try to um, spread that out. Okay. I have some questions. I see a lot of questions. Hold on. If I volunteer at a hospital, would that count as HCE? Probably depends on what you're doing. Um, would being a sitter, watching patients under legal holds count as hands-on experience? I uh, it would probably be hit or miss. Uh, would volunteering in your church community count? Sure. I, most of my volunteering was through my um, church and my, uh, what's it called, campus ministry in college. Is it frowned upon to use a letter of rec from a PA student? I would not do a letter from a student. Um, is volunteering at an animal shelter acceptable? Definitely. Um, you should, like your volunteering should show something you're interested in. Um, and so that's a great thing to do. Um, would volunteering in your sorority count? Yes, for sure. Okay, let me go back up. All right. Can I apply the volunteer hours that I will be doing for my RN to the PA application? Um, so, I mean, if you're volunteering in general, you can add it. I don't know if you're talking about like clinical hours. Some schools will count rotations or clinical hours, um, and some will not. Um, usually the experience that's most relevant is college and forward, not from high school, unless it is significantly medically or healthcare related. Um... A gym daycare, that's probably not going to be patient care hours. That's not patient care. Um, I feel like I'm going to have to do like a massive blog post about all of this because I know I'm not going to get to all of your questions and I feel so bad. Okay, let's go in to, okay, I already talked about that. I want to show you all some examples um, and we have all of your questions that we have missed and I will work on putting those in a blog post because I know there's a lot. And last week on the podcast, I answered questions um, or I guess I did grades and GP. I didn't do experience. So I'll do another one on more experience questions. Um, where's my thing?
my presentation. Okay, here it is. Okay, I want to show y'all ex um, examples of what experience details look like. So when you're in CASPA, this is what it's going to look like. So you will put the experience type, healthcare experience, the recognition type. This is going to be compensated, non-compensated, academic credit, volunteer. Um, you'll put all like whatever type it is. Um, your title, your employer, and your supervisor info here. The dates, um, full-time, part-time, whatever. Um, hours per week, total weeks, number of hours. Um, and then your description. Um, on permit to contact, I typically do recommend putting yes, unless you do not have the contact information. Um, and if that is the case, try to explain it in this experience details. You get 600 characters here to put whatever you want. Um, so for this one, she put responsible for checking patients in upon their arrival to the dermatology office and verifying insurance upon checkout, collected co-pays from patients, assisted in the organization and management of a physician's schedule, communicated with patients on a daily basis, responsible for the organization and filing a medical document such as pathology reports and prior authorizations. I was promoted from this position to medical assistant. So this is good. Like I would give this like a B. Um, I think there could be some more details about like what she learned from this situation and from that experience. Like instead of just saying communicated with patients on a daily basis, I would say like learn to communicate effectively with patients on a daily basis. Um, and like instead of responsible for the organization and filing a medical documents, um, I would say um, became efficient at um filing medical documents and um un and not understanding but um developed organization for pathology reports and prior authorizations like making it more personal and more of like an action and something you learned um like and, and so we'll look at more examples but um the more that you can be descriptive the better let me check in um, paragraph or bullet point is fine. Whichever one you do, be consistent. Um, I don't know that it gives you an option for email. I can check in a second. Okay, so this one is patient care experience. So this is an example where it shows that it is current. Um, the total hours per week, total weeks. Um, currently, I'm a medical assistant for a PA in a dermatology office responsible for obtaining patients' medical history and recording the history of present, presenting illness for patients. So it does not have to be like full sentences, by the way, like it's fine to use snippets like this um, and abbreviate. Um, we edit a lot of experience details. And so like we can definitely work on cutting them down if that's something you need help with. But Responsible for preparing the patient for examination by a PA, by performing a review of systems and explaining to the patient office procedure. Assist the PA with skin biopsies and excisions. Responsible for contacting patients with pathology results and explaining different treatment plans. Trained to perform extract laser treatments, blue light treatments, and chemical peels on patients. Um, so that's cool because this like tells actual skills, which definitely full, fulfill that patient care part. Um, and what they're able to do, like, I still think there could be like more here about learning to function as part of a team, 
um, and how to like conflict resolution with patients or with a team, um, trying to insert like some strengths and skills that will um, stand out versus just listing out what you did. And then this is a shadowing one. Um, so shadowed a PA on the burn unit ICU step down floor, observed how a PA manages several patients in a hospital setting with a variety of injuries from burns to wounds. That's good. So like saying what you saw, um, assisted with a wound dressing change, observed a burn skin graft surgery. I'm not a huge fan of putting like specific medical stuff you saw because I don't think that's really the purpose here. Um, attended daily meeting with PA, supervising physician, physical therapist, and nursing staff. Um, during this meeting, individual patient care was discussed among the various providers, observed how PA manages patient care along with other providers as well. So that's more of what I want to see, like seeing that PA interact with other providers. Um, she had another one that said, like, um, observed how a PA can practice autonomously in a clinic. Um, so really showing that you've learned things about the PA profession um, in those experiences. Um, and let me see if any of these have, yeah, these all just have phone numbers. I don't see anything for email. Um, one other interesting thing she did that I liked was even though that healthcare experience and patient care was at the same place, um, she used different supervisors. So one, she used like the office manager and one she used um, the physician. And so I think that was interesting because um, that like gives you almost like double validation if they needed it, which I thought was good. So okay, I know y'all have a ton of questions and I feel like we could actually talk about this for probably like four or five hours. Um, but I feel like also I'm losing a voice. So I promise that we will, I will put together a blog post. Um, I think you should all get the replay and I have your emails. Um, so I'll make sure that that gets out to you, but I'll put together a blog post in the next couple weeks with answers to all of the questions you put in the chat um, and links and examples and things. And then if we need to do another patient care Q and a, we will, or thing, but I hope this was helpful, um, and not confusing and not stressful, but if it was too stressful, let me know. Um, but I hope to see you at the personal statement one in February. Um, and we can talk about that more and, um, yeah, I'll keep answering questions on Instagram and everywhere else and hopefully try to clarify things. I feel like I muddy the water sometimes, but all right. Thanks guys for tuning in and I'll see y'all next time.